Hello, welcome, and thanks for checking in today to No Vacancy, the podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Palmer. I'm an Airbnb ambassador and 17-time super host, and I've hosted over 1,000 reservations. I'm a stay-at-home mom of two under two and manage my eight listings remotely. My mission is to help new and experienced vacation rental hosts turn their listings into fully booked, profitable properties that can be managed from anywhere, so you too can have no vacancies. If that sounds good to you, let's get right into the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of No Vacancy, the podcast. This week's episode, I had the privilege of getting to interview Zoe Berghoff, and if you do not already follow her on Instagram and TikTok, you are missing out. She is a just expert on unique stays, which is why I so desperately wanted to have her on right now. If you guys haven't noticed, Airbnb is clearly starting to prioritize unique stays with their new update that focuses on categories and really highlights unique homes, unique experiences. And in Zoe's portfolio, I won't give everything away. She'll talk about it herself, but she owns both unique stays and a single family home. So she's really able to speak to the difference between standard renting in a typical home, four walls and a roof, all of that. And then she's also able to speak to the unique stay side of things. So I really wanted to have her on. I do want to give a slight disclaimer that the sound quality in this interview, unfortunately, is not the best. I, in a perfect world, would have flown her out and we could do this in person, but I just knew that with the recent updates with Airbnb, this is very timely information that I wanted you guys to have ASAP, and so we did do it over Zoom, and unfortunately, the sound quality is not ideal, but I hope that it's not too much of a turnoff and that you still listen because she is so, so knowledgeable and just brings so much insight into the unique state industry. So without further ado, let's jump into that interview. I hope you enjoy this one. Hi, Zoe. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the podcast today. Um, as you know, the reason I wanted to have you on is because you are so knowledgeable about unique stays and that whole side of Airbnbs. Um, I think most people think that you really have to stick to like a single family home or maybe a condo or apartment, but there is an entire world out there of people renting teepees and tree houses and yurts and glamp sites. And I'm sure that the cost of getting into, you know, a teepee is a lot lower than home ownership with potential to make a lot more money. So I really wanted to have you on because you just seem like a total expert in this. Could you tell us a little bit about like your hosting journey? What unique stays and properties make up your portfolio and give us like the whole breakdown of what you're doing? Yes, of course. I'm so excited to be here. So thank you. Um, We do have a unique glamping stay. I want to say it's like, you know, feels like a house, but it's a glamping. It's a yurt, which is not as exposed as like a tent or a teepee could feel, but technically a yurt is a tent fabric. It's, um, you know, 10 degrees, the outside temperature is going to be probably the inside temperature. We also have a traditional family home. So it's very interesting to see the comparison year by year of what, you know, the work takes, what the cost to get started with a traditional family home versus a year it could be or a glamping stay. And honestly, what the management looks like, as you could suspect, you have to disclose certain things when it's a glamping stay. For sure. Um, You just have different challenges at times, different builds that the whole process can look a little different. And then we also have a RV van life camper that we've also started renting a little bit on the side, which I'm more than happy to touch on that. It's not super Airbnb because Airbnb actually does not promote mobile moving stays. Right. They promote like a permanent address, right? To do any listing. Yes. Yeah. Like you can promote an Airstream on Airbnb, but the Airstream is parked, which was actually kind of confusing because they let me put the listing for the van on Airbnb, but you don't have the same protection for insurance and someone driving and everything, but there's other platforms that do RV camper rentals. So it's been interesting to see kind of all of the three different ways you can do it. We started Airbnb what was it? Two years ago, I want to say. And our first listing was the yurt. Um, We basically, we were in it kind of part time and I was like, we're traveling a lot. 
I love the year personally. And I was like, people would love this. And we were like, I don't know. And at the time my boyfriend was like, I don't think people would really want to stay in this. And I was like, they would. So it wasn't actually built to be an Airbnb. So we just kind of put it online. And this shows that you don't have to have everything figured out. Like you guys, we did not run the numbers. We did not have furnishings. Like we did not have the bed sheets ready. We didn't like, we literally took iPhone photos, put up the listing and we're like, Hmm, let's see what others are charging for a similar two to four person place in the area. Not saying you should do it that way, but that's how we started. (laughs) So it takes, you know, you learn along the way and instantly it started getting bookings and we were like, wow, this actually, you know, we almost kind of made ourselves homeless in a way because it was booking so much that we were like, (laughs) we actually don't have anywhere to go. So we just started traveling full time for that summer. And then about six months later, we had the short term family home come to life. And the van life rental has been in the last few months, we've been trying it out. And we're actually working on doing another build, which I can talk about. It's kind of like an in-between of a traditional and a glamping, which we can touch on like why that is. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's a little bit about us. And it's been a very learning, growing, evolving journey. And my biggest thing is like, you just have to start. And that was how we started. We had nothing figured out. I love that. that. And like, honestly, (laughs) you would think that since I have like, you know, a podcast and I teach Airbnb courses and everything that I am very big on like learning everything you can before you jump in. But I will say (laughs) there is just something to like diving in head first and being like, I either sink or swim. Like you learn so Mm -hmm. much under pressure that way. So I'm glad that that didn't hold you back. Like by all means, you know, make sure that you're like doing it legally and all of that stuff. But Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, you do learn so much on the job. So I'm so glad that you didn't like wait to have everything figured out and, you know, got, got all those pieces in place later. So right now, what does your schedule look like? Do you guys basically like when the yurt is booked, you live in the van, Mm -hmm. when the van is booked, you live in the house, when the house is booked, like, do you just cycle between everything? Um, we do at times during the summer, it's more possible to do that. Obviously like sleeping in a van in the middle of winter is not as ideal. Um, my husband is a pilot, so we are everywhere all the time. Um, so currently we're not based local with the homes, which, you know, we host remote and I'm a huge, I actually love hosting remote. I (laughs) sometimes don't love when we're local. I'm like, wow, we like are coming up with projects and projects and we spend so much more when we're there locally. (laughs) Um, But the van was actually a tool for Airbnb because there were so many times, both Airbnbs are pretty similar location and we would be visiting them to do some projects and work. And we were like, we don't want to take this one off the books. And then this one's booked and whatnot. So we ended up buying a van because it was a big tool for us to be able to visit them and not have to, you know, take up one for the week or whatever it was that we were going to be there. And we will be going there next week. So we'll be in the van. They're rented in and out. And then we have a few days in each to do some projects and stuff. So we make it work. Um, But the best part of having Airbnbs is you actually get to stay in them and enjoy them. (laughs) I know. (laughs) With the long-term rental, you're just like stuck. You get a year-long lease and you can't be mm -hmm. in the property for a year. With Airbnbs, you can actually enjoy it yourself. Yeah, which our house was actually also a long-term rental uh, a year previously from Airbnb. So I've actually seen the exact rental income from a long-term renter in one year versus what the house, like we did no projects, no improvements, just furnished the house and what it did on Airbnb, which it quadrupled what it was making with a long-term renter. Um, and we never went into the house, like you said, for the whole year before it turned into an Airbnb. Yeah, that's amazing. Okay, so I want to ask you, and maybe you're not the best person to ask since you did jump into this without running your numbers, but hopefully by now you kind of have seen like how to calculate, you know, return on investment mm-hmm. in these unique stay investments. What's kind of your advice? Like what numbers do you run? Is it You know, I think it's a lot easier to compare what you could potentially make with just a single family home. You can look at another four bed, two bath, but it's hard to compare like one size yurt to one size Airstream. Like, how do you kind of run those those comparables? Yeah, so you do want to run the numbers. It is a little different just because there isn't as much data to work with as there are houses, like you're saying. Um, So there's a few things you want to factor in. And I do a lot of glamping consultations with all different types of people with different skills. And the biggest thing you want to think about is what is the type of glamping you're looking to do? And you don't have to have it dialed in, but a teepee or a small little like 
Um, they're they're kind of like safari tents almost, where it's like built on a deck, but the tent could come down pretty easily. Those are going to be a lot different to put up than a yurt or a dome or a treehouse or a small A-frame. Like you're looking at a lot different build processes. So you want to think about what is the cost of the glamping structure you're wanting? And then what is the process, the time and the labor going to look like to put that up? Because it's usually not the same as a house is going to be the year. Physically, the structure went up in 72 hours and it took about four months to build it out. Um, So it's a lot different than a house, (laughs) but you also want to run the numbers in the area. I do usually like to look at an area that's a little bit more populated, but flexible on their like county regulations, Airbnb regulations, obviously, but also the building code because some counties don't love putting, you know, people into a tent and calling it safe and like, Mm. you know, passing fire inspection and snow load and everything. So I like to look at the area and then see if there's, if you have to buy the raw land or you're going to rent the land, if there's something that are sometimes out of county, you know, limits that you could legally host someone in a tent or airstream Um, and it really just depends on the state and the city that you're wanting to do this in some cities have really strict building codes and it would never pass to put people in and there is some people that have the theory of building glamping states in the middle of nowhere and bringing those people through marketing efforts I am not to that point where I think people are going to find you in the middle of nowhere and book your tents. You know, like most of these glamping sites are around national parks within a hundred miles. There's a reason for that. There's people going there already. They're not just like going to go stay in this field. Maybe they will, but I'm not at that point yet where I feel like you can bring that much traffic to have a fully ROI booked place. But you do want to run all the numbers. You also want to run the furnishings and you also want to think about the seasonality of it because the year is not open full time for us. It's not open all year. It's open about six to eight months, depending on how the winter is going, Mm. given that it's in a winter high snow load location. Um, It's at about 8,000 feet. So the snow is extremely difficult to upkeep throughout the winter that we make the decision to close it. So you also want to factor that in with your purchase and everything, because now we have to make the full year income in about six to eight months versus 12 months. So that looks a little bit different in your ROI as well. But I will say the best thing about glamping, you can do off the grid, you can also hook it up to power and water, is it's very cost efficient once it's up and running. The year cost almost nothing a month to like have open running, honestly. Like Um, mind blowing to me. Like I talked to so many people that are like to just break even on my Airbnb investment, I have to do Mm -hmm. 2,500 a month for, you know, my mortgage, my utilities, my property taxes. And it's like crazy that you're probably charging the same nightly rates, if not more, because there is such high demand for these unique stays and your costs once it's up and running are virtually nothing it's just is like opening so many like new avenues for me to think of yes exactly and the way you build it if you do so the yurt was cash and there's no loan on it so we had to upfront that cash obviously but like almost every single booking is deemed profit on the books obviously taxes and everything but very minimal cost propane you know you fill it up once every month and a half it's a big propane bottle that's like not that crazy um so you do want to factor that in some people do off the grid so they do solar panels they have water tanks like 500 gallon water tanks and you fill it up every three or four months so there are utility things you need to think about expenses as well but it also depends on the land that you're working with Land that's going to have utilities is going to be more expensive than land that's just vacant land. So you can also rent land. You don't even have to buy it. I've seen land anywhere from $5,000 to $500,000. So you really get to pick where that's going to look for you. But your setup and build could look a little different. Um, You know, if you're going to offer Wi-Fi, some of those amenities. And that does come into your nightly rate. So we have like a shower and laundry and a kitchen and a sink and a oven, which is not super unique for a year. So we can charge anywhere from 250 to 400, where a year that might be totally off grid is, you know, 75 to 200 or so. Okay. Okay. So I want to ask you kind of, and you already started touching on this, but 
what are some of the biggest hurdles to hosting a unique stay? Like, if -hmm. you do go with one of these totally off-grid places, um, is it harder, you know, to communicate with your guests? How do you get water there and everything? How do you get your cleaners there? If you are a little bit more Mm -hmm. on-grid, which it seems like that's kind of the model that you're going after, um, do you notice, like, a trade-off? Does it seem like more guests really want an off-grid experience and would be willing to pay Mm -hmm. more for that, like, more, you know, nature retreat? Or do you like being more you know centrally located like give us all your thoughts on this yeah so there's a few different ways to do it if you have your listing active I have learned from the beginning I kind of assumed which never when you're a host never assume (laughs) don't do it because I had the year listed and I assumed it was obvious that a year did not have like AC like to me that was I was like, it's a tent. Like, where's AC in the photos and stuff? (laughs) That's not obvious to people. So you're better off. You're going to have a more enjoyable experience as a host. Your guests are going to have a better experience. If you disclose these things in the listing, you don't need to scare people. But if you look at other glamping listings on Airbnb, you will see a lot of the time, like, you must read the entire description and disclosure before booking. Like, we, we don't have to be too crazy with our disclosures, but we do say, like, make sure you check the weather before you arrive because mm-hmm. the year will be within 10 degrees of the temperature outside. Um, you know, there's not AC. There are, we have electric heaters and a wood fire burning stove as well, but it's still not going to get super warm. Once it's about 40 degrees, it's pretty cold in there. Yeah. Um, just things like that where you're like, you are in the elements more so. Um, if you have spotty cell phone service, which we do, we have Wi-Fi, but the service is pretty poor. I do say in the disclosure, like, I send you instructions, everything you need to get to the home. The best provider is AT&T, just so you know. And some people do say, like, thanks for letting me know that. So they don't just, like, pull up directions halfway to the home. Yeah, and they can download everything beforehand and, like, be prepared for that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I have learned from the beginning. I thought all those things were kind of, like, pretty obvious. And it's just not obvious. So you're better off to just disclose it. Don't scare people, um, but you do want to be realistic and make sure they understand. If We also have a home that you have to have four-wheel drive to get to in the winter. Okay. That's very beneficial to mention in your description before they book <laughs> because some people, we had last winter four people still did not even listen to that. And I say it like five times before they arrive. So oh just those things, it's going to make it better for everyone. Um, and you also just want to make sure that you are setting your listing up for the target audience you think is going to enjoy your stay. So we do have the creature comforts, which I do think is a benefit because people can feel off grid and feel like they're in nature and experience the elements, but they still can go shower or wash their laundry if they have to. I don't think that's a necessity whatsoever. I do notice with glamping, the maximum stay, we've hosted a few week stays, but it's more so like that two to four day range. It's like, we're just going to escape for a little bit, 48 hours, and then we're done. We do offer Wi-Fi, but like we don't have a TV and I don't really feel like we need to offer a TV. I do that by choice because it's like, go outside. That's not the goal of this day. Exactly. Yeah. And that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Like if that's, as long as you're speaking to the customer that you are trying to attract, then yeah, I think you just hit the nail on the head. Like you don't have to have every amenity, just have the things in place that you know your guests are going to want. I wouldn't imagine Mm -hmm. a lot of people are craving TV time when they're in a yurt. Um, Can you talk about like the cleaning aspect? How do your turnovers go? Mm -hmm. Um, How do you ensure if the place is more off grid that like your cleaners are getting there and, you know, promptly showing up? Do your cleaners have to have four wheel drives? How do you deal with all of that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our cleaner is obviously local. We um, found her as a more so neighbor versus like a cleaning company. I'm a huge proponent of like, if you can support the individual locally versus like this company, hundred percent. try that first. So our cleaner, she is um, the best, like the absolute best. And it's super nice because we did find her within 10 or 15 minutes from the home. And that was just by like talking and asking people when we were there, like, yep. do you know anyone? And someone encouraged us to reach out to her and they were like, she's just like a do it all. Like she'll like, watch your babies if you need a babysitter like <laughs> she'll watch your chickens if you need someone to watch your chickens like, I was yes, just like All I've right, been needing might... someone to wash my chickens so thank god <laughs> right <laughs> I know um 
So she was, I brought her up to the home. I showed her, I was like, this is what it looks like. I wrote out kind of a checklist of like what we want to look at when you're up there, like check the propane, make sure it's pretty full. Um, So that helps them just stay accountable and helps you make sure the job gets done. She does have like a four wheel drive truck. She's very familiar with the elements. She does understand the types of guests may be getting a little overboard sometimes when they book these stays in the middle of the wilderness and they're afraid of like, a fox when there's bears around as well. (laughs) So she's the best, but you do want to, if your glamping unit does not have laundry accessible, I would suggest having like two to four sets of everything as you know, you should do for a traditional home at times, but everything needs to come down with them or to town or to their house to do laundry. If they're doing the laundry at their own house, I would consider paying extra for them, like 35, 50 bucks a month, depending on what you're turnovers look like um so that's super helpful and then she can just go up there she can clean it and completely get it ready for a turnover we do have a lot of same day turnovers and i will say a glamping property is the nicest thing to clean it takes like 45 minutes to an hour and a half and it is such a nice change of pace than a traditional home so we do pay a little bit less for our glamping site because it's like 500 square feet it's very small yeah and um yeah, that's, it's not as difficult as it seems. I do know people that have really off-grid properties like Grand Canyon, Arizona. There's not much in town. And they actually have people that live on the premises, which okay. would be super nice if you wanted to offer that. Um, you could offer them to like live in their camper and they stay for free. And that's part of like their payment. Or you can have like, you know, an ADU or a different home or something. Or you can always like find people that are looking for unique ways to rent and live basically mm-hmm. we've thought about that having like a full-time caretaker on the property because it is 35 acres so it's a lot of work just every day um but yeah that's an option if you're farther from town to do a cleaner that can always be there um but our we try to be very self-sufficient that our guests do not need anyone during yeah. this day is the hope yeah so. that's great do you have um like a locked supply closet or like a locked chest mm-hmm. with you know extra coffee or whatever amenities you provide mm-hmm. toilet paper yeah so we actually have um a storage container that is locked she has access to it and we keep a lot of storage down there and it is something to think about if you're going to be doing a glamping site for renting is there anywhere that you can lock um, we don't have as many cabinets or anything. You don't have a storage closet as easily in a year. A year is like a full on circle. So it's very hard to have a closet that's sectioned off. Yeah. Um, but you can definitely do, I have just very conveniently like extra storage sheets are stored under the bed in closed bins if the renters ever needed it or it's cold. So you just got to think about different situations with temperatures and climate and everything. And then we do have a locked container for her, her to be able to access. It is not always a bad idea. I feel like sometimes one-off situations happen more with glamping properties than homes to make, um, you know, if it's locked with a code or a key, like that they could get into it if they had to, if something happens, like if all power shut down, they could reset the breaker or something. That's okay. never a bad idea because those properties are just more susceptible to things happening because they're way more in the elements. Yeah. You could have an animal do something, a chipmunk bite through the wire, and then you have a bigger problem. So it's more so accessible if they had to be there than a house would be, per se. Okay. So that kind of leads me to my next question. I did want to ask, like, how do you ensure guest safety and safety of the property? Like, is there a way to Mm -hmm. deadbolt a year, you know, or could someone just, like, come with a pocket knife and, like, start slashing through Mm -hmm. the canvas? Like, how, how do you ensure safety with stuff like that? Yeah, that's a good question. So the year we have it on, it is on a deck and there is a gate okay. at the front of the deck. Not saying that that gate is deterring people. But <laughs> it's like, it was actually there for animals so that we thought that like bears and stuff would be able to smell the food in the year, but it's actually never been a problem for us. Okay. So that gate is there in the winter during off season. We do lock that gate in hopes that people understand like, you know, anyone that's walking on the property, don't come over here and go into the year. Yeah. Um, it is... There is a locked door handle, just like what a house would have. So like the Schley door handle that's got the code and everything. Okay. Um, the yurt has that, which we we did that. We interchanged the door handle. And yurts do have normal wood doors, which is nice. I'm still 
grasping the fact of how people like secure their teepees and stuff. I yeah. don't have a teepee. I've never stayed in one, but I do wonder that. Like, I mean, I mean, you can zip them down and they might lock the zipper or something and give the code that way. Um, but there is a way to, we do have a camera as well okay. that is outside, obviously only outside you guys. And that helps just make sure that you know, everything is secure. And it's also for wildlife protection for our guests and it's for weather. So we do know that we're in a more weather temperate area. So we always can check the cameras if it's like starting to snow or if there's a storm or anything. Yeah. Um, but you do want to, we don't have any confidential like agreement they have to sign. Some people do that. I don't feel like our property is that dangerous. We don't allow kids smaller than about five years old. Well, okay. You know, we might make an exception, but we prefer to not host them spawn than five years old because the year is elevated. There is a fence and everything, but it's just like bigger liability. It feels to host smaller children and everything. And we aren't really a family children oriented stay. It's more couples like birthdays and anniversaries and proposals. Um, and we do have a whole written out sheet in the home of like, how to roll down the windows, how to open the dome, how to turn on the heaters. You just have to be a little bit more like dumb proof, yeah. I would say, and yeah. just like really write it out for them, plain and simple. And we also, before they book, send them a link to like more info about the property. So they have it like three different times that they could look at these things in hopes that they listen. Yeah. No, I think that's great too. And it's not even like babying them or like micromanaging mm -hmm. them but it's more just like like you said earlier like you really want to make sure it's the best experience for everyone for the guests mm -hmm. for you for the housekeeper so like just communicate yeah. all those things up front and I think you probably I could be wrong on this but I would think that you actually end up having better adherence to your house rules with a unique stay than mm -hmm. with a standard home because these guests don't know what they're getting themselves into either. They're trying to experience something unique. So my guess would be they'd be very timid about like, let me read all the rules mm -hmm. and make sure I know what I'm doing. I, that's totally an assumption. I could be wrong. but <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty accurate. I would say we have very self-sufficient glamping guests. Like we had... Um, like the door handle had an issue. We don't have Wi-Fi door handles because we're not in a Wi-Fi strong zone. Like if the power went out in the whole city, we would lose Wi-Fi. So okay. to have all of our devices relying on Wi-Fi is a little bit riskier for us. So it's like battery powered and the batteries died. And I was just like, this is also like we're still learning this year. Somewhere I'm like, okay, batteries will be in here now, like for multiple rounds of a dead battery doorknob. And they were like, yeah, we'll just leave it like cracked open and going to town. We don't really care. And I was just like, Wow, thank you. Like, I was just like, do we need to, like, you know, they don't, there's no Uber delivery yeah. or anything like that in these areas. So I was like, do I need to call up the maintenance team or the cleaning team to bring batteries? And they were, the maintenance team was going there 12 hours later. I was like, can you just, like, please, like, ride this out for 12 hours? And they were super cool about it. And, yeah, a lot more flexible, more aware of, like, what they're getting themselves into. Some of them bring like telescopes and stuff. Oh, so they really, so cool. I love seeing them like dive into the experience. Like they just, yeah. Someone told me that she slept outside and I was like, whoa, I would not be sleeping outside. <laughs> but she's like, I just wanted to like see the sunrise and stuff. And I was like, that's like when you realize like why you do these off the grid unique stays because of the people that like really soak it in. It's so cool. Oh, totally. I really love that. Yeah, it's just... It's one of those things, I guess, like by the very nature of what you're hosting, you're already filtering out guests who are going to be a little more high maintenance. Mm -hmm. So no, that's yeah. that's really cool. And you especially can compare it because you also do like a standard single family home rental. Mm -hmm. So you've really seen both sides <laughs> of that. Um, okay. And um, something I just kind of thought of too is what do you guys do in the winter? Like how do you shut the place down? Is it really just mm -hmm. a matter of closing that deck or do you like tear down the sorry if these questions are so stupid but you were like I don't know anything <laughs> no. about this but like do you like fold up the whole year at the end of the year and like mm -hmm. reopen it when winter season ends like what's the protocol for just like shutting it down for the season yeah that's a good question so I'll give you our example and then like another glamping example that I'm familiar with so some people do the more tv style tent styles that are very mobile and like take down and put up friendly the reason why sometimes people do these more tent styles is it's not legal for them to do a 365 day rental, but they can do a rental for like four months. Oh, and then yeah. after those four months, they take them down and there's nothing on the property and there's no rental and then they can put them back up. So that's an example that if you were dealing with 
your local county regulations, Airbnb regulations, you can sometimes work that system a little bit by having something so easy to construct and take down. The year is not as easy. Um, (laughs) The year is a little bit more built out. It has, if anyone has seen like the social media post, it has walls and it has, you know, it's not like the most like just take down and it's good because we built out more so inside some years you could take down, but it would definitely be a hassle. So we do a full, um, insulation closure, everything, you know, you block out. This is only because you guys were at like 8,000 feet in the winter. So it's just cold and harsh climate. The year has done exceptionally well throughout five years now of seasonal weather because they are round. They don't get whipped with the wind or fall over or like have loose fabric. Um, but we do insulate everything on the inside, roll all the windows down, all of the water gets drained. We do like RV antifreeze and everything. So nothing, and we do expect almost every summer when we open it back up to see like a crack in the water or a crack in it, just because we're in such a cold environment, but it's a trooper for what it goes through and sits in. <laughs> and every single season, it just like looks exactly like it did the season before. Amazing. So the deck, we do keep mindfulness of the deck, our plowing team. We either ask them to like plow or clear the deck once a month, or we'll go out there and do it because it has taken us like four hours to shovel ones. Um, because that deck weight doesn't want to have like, you know, six months of snow on it. It will just start to buckle. Um, so it's not too extensive of a process. It takes about a day and then we open it back up in a day and we do a big clean and everything, but it's kept out animals and everything like that has been no issue, but you are in more elements where animals, I actually had a chipmunk once I was in the year and it came in and I was like, oh my gosh, there's a chipmunk in here. And there's like, chase, and there's only one way in and one way out. So it's very funny, but you definitely want to be a little bit more mindful that it's just easier for animals to come in. So doing all the precautions when you're building it making sure there's no like loopholes or anything that they could sneak into um, is definitely helpful because you'll just increase the longevity. I think the year will stand strong for quite a while and you can always do warranties when you buy these things or if you're building it yourself. Um, So the roof has like a 10 year warranty. I feel like after 10 years, they probably know like it's just depends how, how it's going. (laughs) It's going to last or not, but so far it's been good. Yeah, that's great. Um, I also wanted to ask you about like what other sites, you touched on this in the beginning, but what mm-hmm. other sites do you use besides Airbnb, especially for the RV? And are there other sites yeah. more catered towards unique stays? Um, and how, mm-hmm. I also really want to ask you too, since the new update with Airbnb, putting a, such a huge focus on mm-hmm. unique stays and categories, have you seen bookings increase or how has that been for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll try to answer all of those. The other sites that we use, Airbnb, VRBO, we use for both of the rentals. Um, there's also a site, which is not super popular, but it is, we're on it. We've had like three bookings on it in like total of like a year and a half, which isn't great, but I still am like, there's no harm in being on it. And it's called Glamping Hub. And it's actually like an international site. So some it's bigger in some more international places than the U.S., I'm assuming. And it's literally meant for like glamping stays. Like I always tell people that want to do glamping, go on to glamping hub and like start scrolling and searching and you will find the most out of the box stays. Cause that's all that's on it. That's so and um, yeah, they really encourage like to keep it really crazy. But like I said, it's not consistent traffic, like Airbnb is and everything, but it doesn't hurt to be on it. And it's a great spot to get inspo. Okay. And then for the van, we, had our most recent booking was through Outdoorsy, okay. which is a RV rental. People put their campers on it. They put their, you know, mobile homes, whatever it may be. There's Outdoorsy. There's other, there's a few other ones. Like, I don't know, if you just Google like RV rentals, a few of those other sites will come up. I think Outdoorsy is kind of like the Airbnb of van rentals. Yeah. most common, the most familiar with. And that was where our booking was and it had all the insurance and everything. Okay. Um, it was a very similar Airbnb experience besides you do have to be physically there to drop off the keys because you walk them through the home or the motor home or the van, whatever it is. So that was a little different because as an Airbnb host, you don't have to be there, obviously. And I'm sure you could do just like contactless drop off, yeah. but some of these RVs are a little bit more complex than a home, just in regards to like setting it up and getting the water on and the propane on and stuff. So it is sometimes nice being able to walk in through that process. And I was there and it was very easy. Um, so those are some of the sites that we're on. 
And I'm trying to remember the other question that I have Yeah, I also wanted to ask you, since Airbnb released the new update with categories, yeah, how has that been for you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the new update, I actually, I love the new update because it holds hosts accountable. Me too. Yeah, like it's, I see both sides. I see the people that are having issues with it and like it's just completely dropping their numbers, but it's holding everyone to a higher standard and more accountability and it's not letting those bad hosts continue doing what they're doing and breaking, you know, the stigma for Airbnb of what others think it is. And we have seen bookings, it's hard to say because the year does exceptionally well every summer. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty stagnant. It's pretty consistent every single summer. These last two months, we've been at 90 to 100% capacity, um, which is great obviously and the one thing with the year is it's not open we don't open it till may so i actually don't open the calendar till may which i could keep it open all year round for sure but we just choose to take it all down and you know it's not really that relevant in the winter and we want to make sure that if the area is kind of we've noticed that the area in general is going up per night just Mm -hmm. all across the board so the year is also going up per night so I opened the calendar in May, and this I have this every summer. My husband goes, like, you always say this. But it'll be, like, May, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, the New York calendar is, like, wide open and stuff. And then by June 1st, it's completely booked for June. Oh my so I do, we do fall under, you know, I don't think they have a year category, but they have, like, the tiny home. I think they have a dome category. Domes and years are kind of interchangeable, given that they're both, like, those round structures. And... Bookings have been very consistent. I'm not going to say it's because of the update or not, because it's always done very well. But I will say we've had a much better time this season with people, like every review is a five-star review. Everyone loves the views. They all are like, this is the best, you know, birthday trip I've ever had. And that wasn't necessarily like that last summer. So I think those disclosures are really getting across, like the vibe and the point that I wanted to get across where – Maybe the first summer or so, that wasn't as much. Because we have, like, some reviews that are like, just, by the way, it doesn't have a TV. And I was just like, I don't know why. There'd be a TV. Yeah, there's no TV. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm so, like, happy for all your success and everything with it. And especially just considering going all the way back to the beginning, like, the fact that you jumped into it sort of just (laughs) blind. Like, it really just shows. Anyone who's listening right now, if you have been like sitting on the fence with starting this, like just go for it. Yes, there is a lot you can mm-hmm. learn to like, there's a lot of information you can absorb to set yourself up the best way possible, but you really don't know like what a potential gold mine mm-hmm. you're sitting on until you kind of just jump into it. So that's amazing. I also want to ask you just to kind of um, actually every every episode I do a segment that's like an Airbnb quick tip or a hosting quick tip, Mm -hmm. just something you can give people to walk away with that they could like go put into action this very same day. What do you have Mm -hmm. to advise for that? Like anything (laughs) unique themed stay on that note? Yeah, so something that I do for both our listings, given that they're more outdoor areas, more adventurous people that are booking. In our listing, the photos, we do the full amount of photos that you can do, which a lot of people suggest doing that, but they're not only of the house. I do have quite a bit of photos of like nearby attractions um, mm-hmm. that I've either taken or they're pretty high quality from like a photographer that passed them on to me. And I have them of hikes, I have them of like the ski resort. And I think it really plays into the vision for these people to look through all these photos and see like I'm not like, like, no one goes to stay in Airbnb to stay in Airbnb the whole time. Yeah. Like, that's not happening. So I have a lot of people that ask me, like, oh, in this photo, like, where was this hike at? And I provide, like, a whole list of attractions and hikes to do. But I think that really builds the overall, like, this is what my trip is going to look like. Because I'm going to stay in this house, and here's things that I can do in the area. And you don't even have to be in, like, an adventurous mountain town. But if you're near the lake and there's, like, a huge downtown or an amusement park is nearby, like, Sometimes including those little tidbits in your photos can be helpful for the guests to understand the whole experience they're getting, not just the house. So it's, it might, you know, might not work for some, but I do think it has an advantage for us to show them what they're getting, where some of our competitors, it's just 52 photos of their house and that's it. Yeah. And it's just like every angle and crevice of the house. But we are trying to, 
you know, give more than just a house experience that they're looking. Yeah. So. And this just goes back to what you were saying about the type of guests you're trying to attract. You do want people mm-hmm. who are planning to spend more time outdoors. So showcasing the outdoor environment is part of the experience you're selling. So it totally makes sense in that case to show those extra images. I love that. Very last thing before we jump off. Um, also, mm-hmm. and I'm going to put like in the show notes, like a link to like book a consultation with you, links to your TikTok mm-hmm. where you are just crushing it. And um, <laughs> I just want to ask you to, to kind of finish off, what are your personal hosting goals? Like does the, mm-hmm. are the unique stays sort of just a, temporary way to get some cash flow into like actual real estate investing and building equity there? Or Mm -hmm. are you just like loving the unique stay experience and wanting to build like a little, you know, glamp site empire? (laughs) Um, And especially since you said you're sitting on 23 acres, I wonder if you could put more yurts and everything up in that same area. So our personal goal here would be, I feel like everyone's changed changes every year to as the market's changing and everyone's seeing different things. But I will say with the Airbnb algorithm, they're supporting the wow OMG stays and the unique stays and the architectural moments that anyone can just buy a house and make it designed pretty well. Right now we have to stand out and do something different. So we are working towards a little bit of like a traditional family home meet glamping so it's something that will be durable it'll stay it'll be long standing it'll have foundations and everything but it's still going to have that wow factor that could be the reason why someone looks it um and still incorporate like the outdoor and the nature experience because people i don't think that's going to go away the outdoor definitely not we're all having um so we're working towards that and i don't think a lot of airbnb hosts talk about this but it's hard to require houses and it's very competitive. And if you don't have the right loans or the right financials, the right backings, it doesn't always make sense. And we are big proponents of building because you have full control in your hands. You can usually have a pretty good grasp on the budget. All of our properties were built and we're working on building another. And I feel like not everyone talks about that because there's so much hype to get an Airbnb together like tomorrow and get it live. But sometimes if you take six months to 15 months to build, it could turn out a lot better than what you think. Mm-hmm. And you could have a full grasp of what the design and everything is. So if you're someone who's like, I just cannot compete with these buyers or these cash offers, don't feel discouraged because you can build. And there's a little bit more to the process. But once you do it one time, you're like kind of an expert at it. Yeah. And if you're going to do landing anyways, you're likely going to have to build or construct in some way. I love so. that. I love that. This um, hybrid home you want to do, would this be on the same land where the yurt currently is? Or are you trying to find a whole new market for that? <laughs> yeah, so we looked at both. Um, we looked at a lot of different markets around the country. And we've also looked at what we already know very well. And we're kind of in the process. And this, there's no, the ground is not broken. So this could be completely different in six months from now. But we're in the process of like, why fix something that's really not broken? And if we can really take advantage of what we have and what we know is working and what the market is, um, let's make it work. And you have to also think about like the processes of your cleaning and your maintenance and your plowing and everything. Like when you have as you probably know, because you have a lot of units in the same area, your job is a little bit easier rather than having four units around the country. You can Mm -hmm. have four in a pretty good proximity. So as of now, we're looking to kind of capitalize on what we have, but that's really because we like what we have. We like visiting it. We like going there and nothing has really stuck out to us with the same amount of budget that you can get where we already are. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then last kind of thing to close this out. Do you have any, Mm -hmm. um, I think I already know your answer, but do you have any regrets Mm -hmm. building the year on a place that you do have to close down for a few months of the year? Like, do you wish you had done something that was more annually available Mm -hmm. or are you like just loving this location that you're kind Mm -hmm. of enjoying that break for a few months that you get every year? Yeah, I it is nice to have like the break a little bit, but it does impact like your profitability yeah. and income. Like our income in the summer is extremely high, but then when you close the property, it's going to get affected. At the time, the year was not built for an Airbnb, so there's I don't I usually try to live by like don't regret something, just learn from it. Yeah. And we obviously didn't know it was going to become a rental. I do encourage people that I do glamping like consults with and who I work with to think about whether in more temperate locations, if they're going to do glamping for full seasonality, that's why you see it in Arizona and California and Tennessee, because it's just a lot easier 
not even just on the guests, but like the actual home itself, those harsh climates are just harder to maintain. So if we were to do a full on year again, we would probably think about a more temperate location that could be open full year round. And the year actually can be a winterized stay. People have lived in it in the winter full time. But we won't, I won't do that to guess. Like, I know, even with the wood fire running stove and electric heaters, like, it looks and sounds romantic. But I've been in that year when it's snowing, and it is just cold. Like, there's just nothing you can really do. It's just a tent canvas at that point, and it is insulated. So we could have it open all year, but I just have decided, like, the legality process of, like, making sure people don't slip and fall or keeping it open. Yeah. The year is more of a Friday through Sunday stay, so then you have to keep the fire going Monday through Friday without anyone in there. Like, that is not worth it to me. And that's where you just have to make your boundaries as a host because it's not worth it. Yeah. And where is your, where is the yurt located right now? Where is the land that you guys own? Yeah. So it is in Colorado. Um, We are more towards the western slope, so it's not as harsh harsh of conditions, but given the elevation, it's at 8,000 feet, you're going to get weather no matter what. Yeah, so yeah. it is, um, it's been, you know, it's a great spot and it does fit the people coming to Colorado. Like it fits that demographic very well, but it is just harsher. So the fact that we can keep it open for six to seven months is great. And the year has paid itself off time and time again. So it's never, it's not like a bad investment by any means, but I just think there's no coincidence as to why you see you know, glamping stays in more temperate areas. Yeah. But you also see that in like Montana, which is really cold. Yeah. So can be done. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, and there's just, there's something out there for everybody. Some people do not want to stay in Arizona for the opposite reason. Maybe in your place, it gets too cold, but over there, it's too hot. So I'm sure any stay that occurs more in the elements is going to have its pros and cons. Um, but you guys are obviously crushing it. So you did something right. <laughs> so thank you again so much for taking the time. I will definitely link any ways to connect with you below. And I really hope anyone who has been interested in unique stays takes the time to reach out to you is there any like parting words or anything you want to leave people with um i will just anyone who's listening whether you are a host or you're wanting to be a host i always like tell people it's like your own path and your own journey and don't feel like you're not keeping up with what your neighbor's doing on airbnb and what you know this it's like it's houses are one of the biggest purchases you're going to make in your life it's not something you should be acquiring 10 every month so Follow your own journey, do your research, and make sure that you're making the decisions that work for you and your long-term vision, not just because, you know, it's like trending right now. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Thank you again. Um, and yes, uh, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Zoe. That yes, was, yes, I honestly so learned much. so much. I actually feel like I need to book a consultation with you now. All right, you guys. And finally, for this week's Am I the Airbnb Hole, we have a post that I found, of course, on, you guessed it, Facebook, where else? I swear that is where all the craziest parts of the short-term rental industry just go to exist. And yeah, Facebook is a weird place, you guys. Anyway, so this host wrote this. Hey, need advice? I have a family who booked 28 days. It's the first day and the lady is calling me with an unbelievable story. Are you guys ready for the unbelievable story? Here we go. She is telling me that her family needs to leave immediately because they left their youngest child home alone. This lady expects me to believe that she made it all the way down here and is just now realizing she left one of her children behind. Should I just refund this crazy lady or what? I don't want her to feel like she got one over on me, though. Okay, wow. Um, As a mother, you know what? No, actually, I'm not even going to pull the as a mother card because I don't need to pull that card. Anybody, parent or not, knows this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I mean, at first when I read this, I was like, wow, as a mom, I would never leave my kid behind. But again, like, I don't even need to pull that as a mom card. Who in their right mind would leave a child behind, even if it's not your own kid? If you were babysitting someone or something, or even, guys, I don't even understand how this, how this remotely would be possible. I feel like even if I didn't have my own kids and we were going on a family vacation, I would be like calling my sister-in-law and being like, hey, where is your child? Like, 
how, how did this happen? Obviously it didn't. I'm sorry. Obviously this woman is lying and is just coming up with some sort of excuse. But even if this was true and she did leave one of her children behind, what I don't get is why that would mean she has to cancel the booking and get a refund. It says that this was a family who booked a 28 night long stay. So if this was like a two night reservation and by the time they got to the place, they realized they left one of their children and had to turn around, then okay, maybe I get it because by the time you come back, it would be checkout time anyway. But if you booked for 28 days, turn around, go get your kid, come back, and you still have 27 or 26 days left to enjoy of your trip. I don't understand why this would constitute a refund of any sort or why you would need to cancel the trip. And besides that, why on earth is it the host's responsibility to refund you because you forgot your child? The fact that she even thought that this was an excuse I mean, first of all, it just makes me want to call CPS on her if this is true. We know it's not true. This is obviously a lie. But if this is true, all this makes me want to do is call CPS on this woman. I do not understand how this is remotely supposed to make a host feel sympathy for you and give you a discount. This is the most bizarre excuse I've ever heard. I did not read the comments on this one, but at the end of the post, the person said, update, I took everyone's advice from the comment section and told her, sorry, no refund. She decided to stay. Unbelievable. So clearly it was a lie from the beginning because what, she decided to stay? So is she d just leaving her kid alone at home for another 27 nights now? I just... You guys already know how I feel about this stuff. Can guests and hosts both, we're both, we've, we're both guilty of this, both parties are, can guests and hosts please stop making up the most ridiculous excuses? What was it? Like two weeks ago, we had somebody who within one hour of booking had to cancel because someone died in their family and they planned an entire funeral and the entire family made travel arrangements within one hour. I'm so over these excuses. This woman is the Airbnb hole. I am so sorry for her child if they exist and if they really got left home alone. And if they didn't, I'm sorry that they have a mom who makes up lies like this just to get a discount on a trip that she booked. God, people, let's get it together, okay? This woman is the Airbnb hole. I am so glad that this host did not give in to this. And Again, I didn't read the comments, but clearly it seems like everyone else was on the same page here because the update says I took everyone's advice in the comments. So we are all on the same page. Way to go, community, this woman, Airbnb hole, 100%. And with that, it is now checkout time. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you back here next week. Lastly, as Airbnb hosts, we all can appreciate a good five-star review. So you already know a great review on this podcast would mean so much to me. Please subscribe, review, share, and connect with me in the show notes below. Bye.